0: So today, how to keep the fire alive in your marriage. And you may say, well, I'm not married. Well, here's the deal. If you want to be, it's likely that you're going to be, no matter where you're at. And maybe you grew up in a home where you haven't seen things happen just right. Maybe you haven't even thought about a marriage that would be coming for you because you're too young. If you'll catch some of the principles that we're sharing today, I promise you it'll bless you in the future. So every one of us, I feel like we can receive from this. Let's see what the Bible says about romance. Uh, in marriage, uh, you know, we all have a lot to learn. I don't know anybody who's arrived, and I, I remember when I first got married, I just didn't understand the way things were. Uh, you've heard me say before. I knew the two became one, but I thought the one was me, and and, and I and I soon learned uh, that it was it, that's not the way it was. And my wife had a great mind and high intelligence and um, great qualities to add to to every decision that we made. But I remember one time. We'd only been married about a year. We were living in an apartment complex. Youth pastors at this church, it was Grace Community at the time, and we lived in an apartment right across I 5 from the Saggart campus, if you've been there before. And we invited, uh, I think it was one of the first times Karen ever had anyone over for dinner, her brother and sister in law. And she had a nice dinner fix, and we came to the end of it. And I was still just a little bit more hungry. As a 22 year old husband, you know, and I thought, huh. So I just went to the counter without thinking and opened opened the cabinet up, and pulled out a box of Cap'n Crunch, and I got it out about this far, and I looked over at Karen, and she had fire in her eyes. And I didn't know what the problem was, but I knew there was a problem. I knew that look, right? And I said out loud, is this a problem? And she said, why, yes, it is. I said, oh, so I put it back, and to this day, I'm not sure I completely get it, but I know I'm not supposed to do that, right? And it's a good thing... (laughs) Not to do, but guys think different than ladies, right? I mean, she prepared a great meal; it was ready for uh, for her guest, and it seemed that it was inadequate with what I was doing. And I just wanted to fill up more. Is oh, and there was still food on the table. And ladies get it; guys, you may not. But just follow, okay? Just follow and understand. But we need to understand uh, one another and understand one another's hearts and what one another need and be there for one another. Let's pray and invite the Lord to help us with this topic today. Father, these are your children and you care about us. You created us. You created man and woman. You created us to be in unique relationship uh, and committed relationship, Lord, and marriage relationship. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide us in such a way that we would understand uh, that everything you say is true and it's all out of love and it's all to bless us. Whatever it is we need to pick up and we need to learn as individuals, I pray you'd bring it home to us today. Be with us, Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about what the Bible says about romance and marriage. First of all, romantic conversation. I want to think of that in two ways. Uh, affirming words and, and then words uh, that, that, are, that are more romantic in the, in the sense of compliments. Uh, but let's, let's look at what the Bible says when it comes to words. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. What you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. Now let's think of that in the context of marriage for a moment. If you are a person who speaks mostly the negative and what your spouse needs to get better and to please you, you're going to end up with a mess in your house. If the negative is how you lead and how you drive, you're going to end up with a spouse that believes somehow they're inadequate and might eventually get exasperated and feel like giving up because they can't really become what you want them to be on the other hand if you'll accentuate the positive if you'll think of all the good that's there we're not talking about lying or making something up we're talking about you married them for a reason right you're gonna marry them for a reason that reason was you saw good qualities in them Go into that marriage appreciating, affirming, and speaking those things, and watch your spouse grow. I remember feeling the effects of my negative words with my wife when I was early on in our marriage. You know, sometimes people tend to think that Pastor Stan has it all together and he's just an awesome husband, an awesome dad, and uh, believe me, I make mistakes like everyone else, and I'm just a normal person trying to grow and become more like God. All along the way, just like you, in many ways, and uh, we hadn't been married long—I guess in a year or two—and we were youth pastors still here. And on Mondays, that's my day off uh, because you know pastors work on the weekends, and we work during the week in the office as well. So, so you, there's usually a Monday or a Friday that a pastor will take off. And Karen and I didn't have children at the time, and we were going up to Timberline and skiing. We'd get a, a ticket for half price. It was pretty inexpensive, and so we would just jet up there, and one Monday, we went up, and it was raining like crazy when we got up there. It's not good to ski in the rain, because that rain, when it hits you in the face when you're skiing down the hill, it it feels uh, like, it just stings, little. it pelts you as you go, and so we made one run, and we were just soaked, and it didn't, it wasn't going to work, and so on the way back up, we were riding the chair, and we said, let's just go home and call it a day and forget it, call it a loss. We can at least be together, and so we get about 10, 15 feet from the, from the place where you get off the chair, so we can get off, and the chair broke down. We're hanging up there at the highest point <clears throat> with the wind blowing through there, excuse me, <clears throat> whipping through, and, uh, <clears throat> and we're just being soaked, and the chair was stuck for about a half an hour. When we finally got off, we were miserably cold. We headed to the car, a little hatchback Honda, and there in the parking lot, the rain had come down so fast and everything had warmed up. Literally, it looked like a waterfall going right through the parking lot right behind our car, and we couldn't even hardly stand there behind the car. It was moving so fast. I'd never seen anything like that at Timberline. So I helped Karen get her stuff off her boots, and she got in the car, and then I, I had to get back there where the hatchback was, and I put my boots down in this water. The water was flowing around, and I stepped on my boots like this, and I, I have this good idea. I'm standing right there balancing myself with the bumper, standing on top of the boots, and I said to Karen, turn the car on and warm it up. Well, it was a stick shift, a manual, and it was in reverse. So when she hit that key, it bumped real hard backwards and knocked me off my feet. I fell off my boots, down like this on my back. I am not kidding you. That water went up and over me. There was so much of it. It just flowed right over me, that water that was going through the parking lot. I got up and I said, what are you doing? And I wasn't thinking about her, just me. And she had this look on her face. And then I noticed that the car was going forward, right? Somehow somehow that movement had made it roll forward. And I saw there was a guardrail there. And we were about to hit that. And she didn't see it. And so I grabbed the bumper. I go, hit the the brake, hit the brake, hit the brake. And I'm holding the bottom of the bumper. And she slams that brake and pulls it up. And the, the jolt made me slide right underneath the car. Honest to goodness truth, I was holding the bumper and looking up at the muffler, just like this, and I thought, you have got to be kidding me. This is not really happening. I got up and threw my wet socks off and said to Karen something like this and got in the car, and a few minutes down the road, I said to her, now I I, I had been a little bit harsh, and I said to her, you know, that's kind of funny if you think about it. (laughs) She said, I don't think it's funny at all. And I noticed that it was a little bit cool for the rest of the day, right, early on in marriage. It really wasn't her fault, and uh, it was just one of those things, and those negative words have a way of having residue that will go throughout the day, and even rubble that will stay in our lives and stay for time if it's consistent and it's negative, negative. And, and we all have to learn those, those are things we have to resist and be careful of. Philippians 2, 3, it's a memory verse in your homework for your small groups this week, says this, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Now, if we're thinking that way for our spouse, if we're thinking of serving them and thinking of making their lives better and help them enjoy life and keeping them above ourselves, life will go better. I like to think of a great marriage as two people trying to out-bless one another. That's my little definition. And then, I'm telling you, you're going to enjoy the journey if you're just blessing one another all the time. And it's not about serve me or bless me or meet my needs. It's about me serving you and blessing you and meeting your needs. And then all the guard comes down. And uh, life becomes enjoyable. And you may say, well, my spouse, they, they may think that the negative things they do are okay if I say positive things about other areas of their lives. Come on, man. I mean, uh, think, think about it. We're getting knocked down all through life everywhere. You go to work and some people don't like you. You know, you you, you find this world continually showing you in some way, somehow, you're inadequate. You were created to be with someone in a marriage who would care about you and build you up and make life better. And if they're not exactly where you want them to be, you know what I like to say, put a crown a few inches above their heads and watch them grow into it. Speak positive words and help them grow into it. I read uh, a research study in a leadership book recently. It's not a Christian book. It's called The One Thing You Need to Know, and it's about leadership and management. And it was written by a guy named Marcus Buckingham, who's quite a a famous author. And there's a good study on marriage in there that I thought was really intriguing, even though he's talking about business and management and positive words. The survey that they did said this in this book. Um, Good marriages, they looked at good marriages and they tried to identify the characteristics that made these marriages so good. And in the study, one distinct pattern emerged. It was the pattern for the good marriages. The husbands rated the wife more positively in character qualities than she did herself. And also... The other way around, the wife rated her husband higher than he rated himself. And their conclusion was this, that the happiest marriages are the ones who find the most generous explanation for one another's behavior, and they believe it. Right? So they value their spouse for all the good things, and they have the most generous explanation, meaning... Nobody's perfect, right? I mean, really. We, we, we try to act like we are, but we're not. Your spouse isn't perfect. And they never will be. What if they can never measure up to what you want? Do they always have to feel inadequate? Or can we affirm the good things that, that we see and cause them to have joy in their hearts? And, and so here's a couple of examples they gave. Instead of saying, she's so impatient, they would say something like, well, she's intense. Instead of saying he's so narrow-minded, she would say, he's very focused. They are saying that in every relationship, you have two or more imperfect people who are choosing to think the best of each other. I think we need to affirm one another both privately and publicly. It builds confidence and closeness when you know your spouse is proud of you and loves you and wants to show others how wonderful you are. My spouse believes in me as a great thing to feel. It's what God intended. Beyond good and positive words that are helpful, there, there are romantic words. So let's talk about that for a moment. When we look at the Bible, Song of Solomon, look at these words. And you know, much, much of the Bible is R-rated, right? With, you read Song of Solomon and some of the battles that went on. Here's some R-rated stuff. I'm not even gonna read you some of the stuff in Song of Solomon, but if you, if you poke around in there, you'll find some pretty explicit passages. But in verse 13, Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant, and your face is lovely. Now guys especially have a tendency not to feel like they wanna share the superfluous words and speak these things, but I, I just have a thought for you guys. If such a small thing about telling your wife how beautiful she is lifts her heart and blesses her, why in the world wouldn't you want to do that? You have no idea how wonderful it will be to have her walking around feeling valued and, and her heart just lit up. And we need to get beyond our, our um, concerns and machoism and just say the nice things. I mean, right, you don't have to say that in front of everyone, but just tell her she's beautiful. Tell her you like being with her. Tell her you're glad that you married her, and vice versa, ladies, for the guys. And you know what's really cool as well is, you know, it's nice to, to have someone say I love you and then say I love you back, but when you send an email in the middle of the day and you say, hey, I was just thinking of you, Thinking how wonderful you are and how much I love you and how blessed I am. And she or he gets that in the middle of their day and their work. And and it's just I'm telling you, that'll light you up. That just makes life easier and better. And some of you, I, I just want to apologize. Some of you who've been hurt and wounded in marriage for 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 so called Christians who just criticized and were negative and hurt you and wounded. You. Maybe now you're divorced, but I I just want you to know that's never what God intended. He wants someone that will believe in you and support you and help you become all that he created you to be and see your weaknesses and still believe you're gonna make it with strength, but they can affirm you so much in all the other areas that you're lifted in those areas that are weak as well. Positive words, notes, emails, a phone call, that extra hug, that kiss with a little bit more on it before you go out the door. Karen's not here today, so I'm not saying that for personal reasons, uh, but positive words. You, you know, you, you've heard me say, I've said some things um, that, that were negative, that I'm sorry for to my wife, and, and if I'm honest, I've said harsh words to my wife throughout our 30 years of marriage, um, and, I, and, and, and the Bible says be careful of that, men. It, it warns us more than it warns the ladies. It says about harsh and criticism to men, and, and evidently we're inclined to you know, try to fix things and be stern, and God warns us men not to do that, and we have to continually watch ourselves and be repentant, and one of the things I've learned uh, is saying that I'm, I'm sorry doesn't make you lose clout, it makes you gain clout. Uh, to admit that you did something wrong and, and ask the Lord uh, to forgive you and tell your wife or your children you want to do better, that's strength, it's not weakness, and we've been taught otherwise. But I I want you to know that I say positive words to my wife, too. I'm serious about this. I don't think in over 30 years of marriage, 30 years this year, December 11th, that we've been married, a little more than 30 years now. I don't think a day's gone by when I was with her that I didn't tell her that she was beautiful two or three times in some way. And um, now, now I will tell you, that I'm inclined, we have role reversal in our marriage. I am the wordy one, you know. I mean, you hear that women say more words than men do and all this stuff. Not, not in our marriage. I mean, I'm the, I'm the talkative one. I'm, you heard me say before that we were in bed one night and it was dark and I said, Karen, can I talk to you? And she said, do I have to be awake? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like it better if you were, you know. So, so I'm, the, I'm the wordy one. In a, in a, but... but so an encouragement's easy for me it's not easy for everybody right but, it, but it's, it's easy for me and, and so uh, you know I don't, I'm not bragging but I'm telling you I want her to know how beautiful she is to me and she is beautiful now now now, now here, here's the deal the standard of beauty should be your spouse or your spouse to come your eyes and, and the affection you have shouldn't be given to anyone else uh, be careful even to notice beauty uh, and, and linger and stare or take take a look. Let the standard of beauty be your spouse because that's what God intended. And I find this, that the more you value things and you say words about how you value and honey, you look great and thank you for that and I don't just affirm her looks, I affirm her character. I tell her she's a great mother. I, I tell her she's a great wife. I thank her for her loyalty and and. And for the fruit of the spirit that I see in her life. And I'm trying to say positive things because there's so many good things about Karen. But here's what I find. Not only does it lift Karen, guess, guess what happens when you start to affirm something and call it valuable. Your heart, your brain, and, <clears throat> and your mind start, it's, it starts to cement it where you really believe everything you say. And when you really understand what you have because you're vocalizing it? And too often, we forget what we have and the blessing that the Lord's put right under our noses with the spouse that he has given or is going to give us in our lives. Go out of your way to say good things and thank your spouse for their heart, their life, their love, their loyalty, their good qualities. So there's the romantic words. Now, romantic time together, and we're not... Specifically talking about sex, but we're going there in point three today. A romantic time together, Song of Solomon, listen to this, I am my lovers and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened and the pomegranates have bloomed, there I will give you my love. There the mandrakes give off their fragrance, and the finest fruits are at our door. Now our our new delights, rather, as well as old, which I have saved for you, my lover. Now it doesn't appear to me that the main emphasis here is procreation, or having babies, you know, which was, uh, the, the emphasis that was given for sexuality and marriage for so long was just that it was for procreation, but what you see in here is the beauty of intimacy, intimate time that they spent together that was non-sexual that led to intimate sexual time that they had together in Song of Solomon. It's in the Bible. The church has done a tremendous disservice through the centuries and decades by taking out the beauty of sexual intimacy in the Bible and acting like it's not there. As a matter of fact, when I grew up in the The days when I was young, the church sent a mixed message. It was something like this. Sex is a filthy, disgusting, immoral experience and save it for the one you love. (laughs) What? I mean, it didn't quite compute. Well, listen. Sexuality was created by God and here's the context. Everything outside of this context will damage you and hurt your life, hurt your relationship with people and with God. The boundaries are a man and woman in the confines of a committed relationship in marriage. That's the boundaries for sexuality. You can enjoy sin for a season outside those boundaries, but you'll have trouble that are come your way. But the intimacy, the beauty of what God intended was that man and woman in a marriage relationship, he is not against sex. He created it, but that is the boundaries. He even created it pleasurable. That was him, not the devil. The devil didn't create but we've got to stay within the boundaries of what God said to really receive all the blessing that he has. Intimacy is enhanced by spending time together, non-sexual time. Think of uh, uh, men and women now. I, I would venture to say that among us, one of the greatest deterrents to intimacy in our marriages is that we're too busy. So, we let jobs and even kids and we let other things get in the way where we're not even connecting during the week anymore. We're not spending time together. We're not sitting together. We're not walking together. We're not talking. As a matter of fact, we don't realize it, but all we ever do is come together to solve problems, and there's conflict in problem solving. So, now we don't even have an atmosphere where we're enjoying one another, just solving problems. And pretty soon we get tired and weary. We're too busy, we're not connected, and we have trouble. I just want to say this to you guys and ladies. You are responsible to make sure that you spend time together. I'm talking non-sexual time now. I'm uh, I'm talking just being together. You have to be committed to just you and her, her and him together alone doing something, going somewhere, connecting, Just last month, there was an article in USA Today, and here's the title. Date night can improve marriage and sexual satisfaction. Huh, so the world, you you know, eventually the world comes around to the truth uh, that's expressed in Song of Solomon and God's word, if, if they're honest. But a new report suggests that couples who devote time to each other at least once a week are more likely to have higher levels of communication sexual satisfaction, and commitment, more so than other couples who don't have alone time. I'm not talking about sex, but just they're calling it date night here. A report to be released Tuesday, and again, this was last month, by the National Marriage Project analyzed data on -on one-on-one couple time from two nationally representative, representative data sets and found that wives, check this out, wives who spend couple time with their husbands at least once a week are three and a half times more likely to be very happy and enjoy above average levels of sexual satisfaction compared with wives who have less than once a week couple time and husbands reported similar results. So that shows you that intimacy really starts with just being together, knowing one another, appreciating one another, um, loving one another, sharing those positive words and, and um, working through the things of life together. So with that in mind, that date night thing, uh, David, if you could bring these results. So top five in this service. Uh, we had um, some last service as well. Okay, I'm starting with five. So here's the inexpensive dates, all right? Two of you are getting cards here in just a moment. Get candy and snacks from Dollar Tree, then go to the drive-in. That was Brittany Mendonca, all right? We're not in the money yet, but good job, Brittany, Okay? Four, here's another date, kids at youth group hearing a great message, free of charge. Did you write this one, David? No? Okay. Good movie from Redbox, $1.20, two teriyaki rice bowls, $9.98, cheap date night with the lovely Mrs. C, and that was Steve Caparral, okay? And then three, stay-at-home date. No cooking, no cleaning, no kids, no TV, no computer, no cell phone, just us, no agenda. You never know what might happen. Kimberly Lavasa said that? (laughs) Holy cow. All right. All right. And here, now, now we're in the money here. Uh, number two, share a Subway sandwich at Eibach Park and play Frisbee in the Sun. That was Karen and Eric Schweitz, okay? Is that right, Karen? It's not right, is it? Okay, Karen and Eric Schweitz. Oh, yeah, that's right. Karen and Eric. I was thinking of the other Schweitz, all right? So they, they get a card. Where are you guys? Raise your hand. Karen, okay, give them a card over there. Got an usher coming. Going to split that meal. Remember that? Okay. Uh, okay, and then... Coffee date at Powell's downtown with a vast array of literary options to peruse. That's number one. They must like books get Lyle V. Raise your hand, Lyle V. Where's Lyle? Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Give him a card back there. Let's give these guys a hand. That's right. That's right. She's one of our teachers. That's why they like that literary thing there. Awesome. Well, the point is, spend time together. Now, now you say, well, we don't have any money. In this economy, you might not. Now, let me just tell you what Karen and I do that doesn't, doesn't cost money. On Mondays, we get up, and that's our day off again that I mentioned earlier to you. And sometimes, we'll just watch an old TV Western or something that's recorded there, and we'll hang out in our pajamas, and we're just, it's just a lazy morning on our day off. And then, you know, we have stuff we're going to do, but we get in the car and just... Just getting in the car with her. I can't explain this. It must be what God intended. With no agenda except what we whatever we want to do, right? We might have a couple things we're stopping to do, but we might stop and get coffee. We don't know exactly where this journey is leading. When I get in the car with her and it's just the two of us, it feels great. Because we can just decide where we're gonna do and go and what we're gonna do and 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 I love it. And we have lunch on, uh, once a week together. We just have a date on Wednesday where we'll, we'll meet and have our, our lunch. Uh, we try to have coffee time every day, just the two of us. We don't get it every day, but you know, bad weeks we get four or five. Good weeks, you know, that are normal, we, we, we're together, and we'll, we'll just get coffee and we'll sit down, and for years our kids know don't talk to us when we're having coffee. We love you, but not right now, okay? We're loving each other, and we just, we just talk to one another. And, and we just communicate about what's going on in our, in our day. And, and um, again, I do more talking than she does in our, in our relationship, but I'm becoming a better and better listener as time goes. And she's an awesome listener. And it's just cool to feel connected every day. You'd be surprised in busy weeks how important that time becomes where we just we feel like we're connected. And I can go a few days of not connecting with her properly or in any way, uh, you know, emotionally, and I can feel it, like, like an ache in my heart, because we're used to it, right? We're used to being connected, and so we try to stay connected in some of these ways, and then we try to get away, and I know this is hard, but if you pray, I think the Lord can make it happen. We try to get away, even Song of Solomon here talked about they were going away into the countryside. We try to get away three or four times a year, maybe just for a night. And if you can't afford a vacation, and I'm, I'm not talking about with kids now, I'm talking three or four times a year with just the two of you. And there's a special connection that can happen when you pull out and away from everything and just uh, have some hangout time together and some romantic time together. And it's funny how in those times, um, we'll, we'll be at dinner one of those nights, and it's funny how when we're away from everything, how we can get that 40,000-foot view of our lives and our family, you know what I mean? Because when you're just in the thick of it, everything's moving and fast, but when you pull away, you get a big, bigger picture and you want to make sure that you do things right overall, right? And so you, uh, you can talk about even some things we might do different as a family and adjustments. What I found about family is you never, you never figure it out. You never completely figure it out. It's continuous adjustments to the life stage of kids and, and the life stage of what's happening in, in each life. And when we pull away, we have more time to see those things. Okay, and then let's go to this, uh, the last point. Well, let me, let, me, let me read this scripture, 1 Peter 3, 7. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. I just think that um, if, if, if we, fellas, if we'll think of leading the way and showing her honor and, and a, making her a partner and the grace of life is something that we wanna bless her with, it, it's, you know, if we'll lead the way, it's gonna be a blessing. Last point. Today, now we're getting to the sex part here, romantic love. Song of Solomon, 6.3, I'm my lover's and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. Song of Solomon, 7.2, your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. I just want you to know there appears to be some exploration going on here uh, in this passage. And it, it doesn't seem like they're moving real fast, and it seems that there's something enjoyable that's happening, an intimacy that the Lord intended between man and woman in, in marriage. And I want you to notice, you know, the verses around there. I'm not going to read them because we'd really get embarrassed if I read the, the other uh, passages uh, that, that are around there. But you can, you can take a look yourself. But God created sex as part of his plan for a beautiful intimacy of, uh, of, of love between a husband and a wife, not just procreation. I read an article about uh, a man named James Matlock. who was a Puritan in New England in the 17th century. Now how do you think of the Puritans? You know, Victorian, um, you know, just a bunch of rules. What was interesting about this article about this guy in the 17th century is uh, he was disciplined by the church because his wife complained about him not having enough sex with her. This is the Puritans. We might not have thought right about them in the, in the past, right? And so they disciplined him until he began satisfying his wife's sexual needs. And most people think they're prudish, but they certainly weren't anti-sex. They were very biblical in their approach uh, of, to a Christian life and what the word said. Well, we're not gonna be doing any of that discipline here. We're gonna leave that to you guys to, to, to work that out. But I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be serious with you now. And, and let me say this, I know... I know that there are good reasons that sexual intimacy is difficult in marriage. Sometimes there's even physical pain that can happen, with women especially, and and, and it needs doctors to help that. And these are unique, but but I know these things happen. Uh, As a matter of fact, I don't know much about your sexual life, and I I just want you to know, I don't want to know anything about your sexual life, all right? You just take care of this on your own and work it out between you guys and the Lord. But I want to bring what the Word says some, some women or even men have been sexually abused. That affects this intimacy and the beauty of what God intended because there's wounds that are there. And I would say that we certainly want to be sensitive if our spouse has been through that kind of difficulty or struggle. But to that spouse who's been through it, I want to offer you some advice. Would you do everything you can to get yourself well and whole? Would you let them know that you really want to be there for them in this way? And would you work at it? rather than just saying, no, I never can? Because here's what I want us all to know, not, not just those who've been wounded, but every one of us, for whatever our reasons may be, if you don't develop a good sexual relationship with your spouse, you risk making them feel invaluable and insecure, and you risk damaging your marriage. I'm gonna read that again. If you don't develop a good sexual relationship with your spouse, you risk making them feel invaluable and insecure, and you risk damaging your marriage. Pastor Ed Young Jr. Uh, authored a book this year entitled "Sex a, It's a Christian book, and he points out that the study that I spoke of earlier, the National Marriage Project, suggests that a happy sex life is foundational to a happy marriage. You say, where is this in the Bible? Okay, we're going there right now. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. It's very explicit. It's the New Testament, not the Old Testament. We see it corroborated in both. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. That is not what the world says, but that's what God's word says. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree. Do you see the mutuality of that? And you say, well, what's healthy? Now, the Bible doesn't say how many times a week. But, I'll, you know, just looking around, I'll tell you that normal, with all the studies that I, and I did some research, all the studies indicate that one to four times a week, depending on age and stage in life, one to, and, and, you know, mutuality, one to four times a week is normal. I'll let you figure that out. But it says this, both agree to, you know, don't, don't refrain unless both agree for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So it does, you know, the headache isn't even the excuse that's allowed, but, but the prayer is, is the excuse. And afterwards you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I think it's appropriate that we look at that last line and know that in some way, I don't think that it's an excuse for anybody who says, you know, our sexual relationship is not good and they commit adultery. I'm not saying it's an excuse but I do think it's important that we look at this. We're all responsible for our decisions. But can you see it there that you are making your spouse more vulnerable? That's what that last line says. Come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you're not there for them with the intimacy of words and time, and you're not there in, with sexual intimacy the way that God intended, and bringing pleasure and, and giving and receiving, then, then you've put your spouse in a place where they're gonna be tempted, perhaps, in a greater way. Ed Young's book, Ed Young Jr.'s book goes on to say that he recommends that people start after reading the book, they make a sex pledge, it's a Christian book, and have sex every day for, uh, for a week, for seven straight days. I'm not gonna have you check that box today. I decided not to do that. Uh, but the point is, if, if you will do what the Word says, now, th- now think about it. Married couples were intended to walk together through life as partners, friends, lovers who enjoy one another and who help one another enjoy life more. Listen to me now. Can you trust the word of God and follow God's plan? Isn't that the way it's worked for you in other things in life where maybe it didn't compute? Maybe someone today, maybe you're just chafing at hearing this and you know, I'm not going to know what goes on behind closed doors from here on, and again, I don't want to know. But isn't, isn't it true that when we've trusted God in the past, when His Word clearly said it, and we followed by faith and obedience that we found blessing in our lives? And I just want you to know that these things we talk about today that are in the Word of God, it's true there too. And if you will trust the Word and follow God's plan, I believe you're going to be blessed. 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Love each other deeply with all your heart. Be givers and not takers in your marriage. Bless the other and you'll see great and wonderful results because God's word is true.